Hello class and welcome to UME 115 Social Policies. So this is the first installment of our series of podcasts where all our lectures will be channeled here. And I hope you uh, go and download Anchor or you can listen here on Spotify. But I think it's better to have it on Anchor so you don't need to subscribe to anything, right? But before we start, I think we need to first uh, go into the copyright notice. So please note that this material has been reproduced and communicated to you by or on behalf of the University of the Philippines and is subject to the law on copyright of the Republic Act 8293 or the Intellectual Property Code of the Philippines. Hindi po pinapayagan ng reproduction or communication of this material without prior notice and you can only use this material for the purposes of learning UME 115 or social policy. The first lesson that we will have for this course is the definition of social policy. Di ba kayo excited? <laughs> okay. And uh, one thing, before we begin defining what social policy is, we need to first understand a series of assumptions that are important in making policies. Unang-una, laws should serve people's interest because they are made for the people and not people are made for laws. Later on, we'll figure out why is it very important. The second one is, one policy that is being implemented in one country may not necessarily be applicable in the context of other countries because they have different cultural uh, backgrounds and sensitivities. And lastly, the laws that govern the land are based on the history, origin, and culture of that country. So we have to be very critical in trying to look into the laws that work on other countries and in trying to see how they can work here in our country. The first thing that we need to understand if we want to go into the understanding of social policy is to first understand what is really a policy. So a policy can be a governing principle or plan of action to pursue societal aspirations. I think one thing that is very important here to understand is first, there is the concept of principle, and the other one is the concept of plan of action, which are tools or instruments to achieve the objectives of society. Right? So a policy is an objective to attain what society wants to achieve. But what society wants to achieve is very important to ponder into because the objective of society determines the kind of policies that you have. And I have two examples in mind. One, what is really the objective of society? What is really the goal of a society? Is it development or is it somebody else? Why it, or something else, sorry. <laughs> Why is it really important? Because, for example, if the goal of a society is development, then all the policies that you are creating is tailored towards development or the production of, um, let's say, for example, material resources or to the development of the economy and improvement of people's lives. So if we have that kind of objective, it means that the policies that you will be creating is to create ways to increase productivity of businesses, to increase the incomes of the people, to provide different kinds of services that would enhance the lives of the people. But is it just, is it, are those things the only goals of a society? 
Or can we rethink what society's goals are about, which would later on shape the kind of policies that we have? Perhaps you may ponder at this point, isn't it that the goal of society, rather than development, is justice? Why do you think so? Right? Maybe you can have some time to think. Okay, so we think of the goal of society as justice uh, because I think when you say justice, the economic part is given already and the development part is given already when you talk about justice because when you say justice, you need to provide the needs of the people that they have clothing, that they have food, that they have shelter, that they have basic rights. But when you say justice, it also talks about the dignity of a person. Right? It also talks about having a kind of society where people, people's potentials are realized, where they are respected, where they are not being abused by their fellow men or by the government. So when you talk about justice as the goal of society, it is merely, no? it is not just merely development, but it is much bigger than development. Right? So maybe we can think of that. Um, when we try to understand what is the goal of a society. Because different theories, different policies, are often contending what really is the main goal of a society. So policies can also exist in politics, in management, and in finance, and other administrative mechanisms, right, that are essential in reaching certain goals. So it's not just in, in politics or in government. Policies also exist at the level of organizations or in Kim Chu's words, classrooms, right? There can be policies within the classrooms too. <laughs> okay, and now we move on to public policy before going into social policy. So public policy is a much bigger concept than social policy. It talks about a course of action or inaction where public authorities address a problem. It can be a law, regulation, decision, or actions of government. So when you say public policy, the government or public authorities are trying to create instruments, such as the things that we've mentioned, to achieve certain goals. For example, the Pantawid Pamilyang Pilipino program is targeting the poorest of our population so that they have at least a minimum amount of money to buy the needs that they have or to be able to have uh, to send their children to school and for them to be able to avail of the services of the government and if they are compliant to the services being provided by the government they will get some cash in return they are intended for the common good and the welfare of the people so i do think that the welfare part is something that is understandable for you no but i'd like to focus on the concept of common good why are policies, or public policies in general, should be intended for the common good, right? So, this is an interesting story that I'd like to share with you that was shared to me also by a professor quite a long time ago when I was still in the university. And it was during the time when the Philippines was crafting the 1987 constitution. So, a delegate from Mindanao was supportive of the policy on creating a clause in the constitution to protect the majority or the rights of the majority in case of national decisions. And that professor told the delegate from Mindanao, maybe you should rethink 
your support for the majority rule. Because if we say majority rule, then the majority Christian population in the Philippines can create public policies that are to the detriment of the minority people or Muslims in Mindanao, right? Or something to that effect, right? And the Muslim delegate at the time thought twice, right? Because in common good, it is not just the right of the majority, but you also care for the rights of the minority. Because when you say common good, it's the good of all, right? Regardless if there's a majority or a minority. And in any society, I do not think that there is one society that does not have any minority. Because either you can have a group of people who are part of uh, the minority, or you can have a group of people who have different opinions from that of the minor, the majority of the population. So they have to be protected as well. Now we move on to the definition of social policy. So a social policy is actually a much smaller part no, of the uh, bigger public policy concept. But it has particular interest in social issues, particularly in access to social programs such as education, health, housing, and social security, whose concerns are morally, mo mostly on human welfare and to meet human needs. Right? In the academe, the discussion mostly centers on the creation of welfare state and the range of responses to social needs. So welfare states are the kind of states that are uh, usually have higher taxes, but they provide a lot of services to the people. Countries like such as the Scandinavian countries, Norway, Finland, um, Denmark, Canada, and in, in some parts, the United Kingdom. And the concerns of social policies include social services, such as health administration, like providing um, health care, social security, education, employment services, community care, and housing management, or addressing social problems such as crimes, among others, as well as issues on race, gender, and poverty. The policy base of social policy in our constitution is particularly uh, enshrined in the preamble of our 1987 constitution, where the constitution specifically states that the goal of the uh, the Philippine state is to create a just and humane society and establish a government that embody these ideals and aspirations and promote the common good, right? So the definition of a just and humane society is not only a material aspect, right, or the material development of Philippine society, but when you say just and humane society, there should be opportunities for the people to realize their education, their health care, uh, social welfare, and etc., and also their human rights. There are four layer definitions of, of social policy. It can be a philosophical concept where it is a principle where members of large organizations and government entities collectively seek enduring solutions to a problem. That is where it's more like a framework that guides uh, organizations in achieving certain goals. It can also be a product where you can see it as a document, such as a Republic Act or Executive Order. It can also be a process, a process where it is 
uh, able to maintain an element of stability and at the same time continuously seek to improve conditions of the people involved or affected. So it is something that is continuous. It's something like a program or like a law that is continuously changing and being implemented um, in a changing reality. Right? It can also be a frame or a basis for action, whereby it's both a product and a process. For example, a law is already um, a product of a social policy, but at the same time, the law is being implemented and it has to adjust to different conditions and contexts of areas and people where it is being applied. Right? So it's not just, uh, laws are not just finished when they are passed, but they have to also be implemented and the implementation process means that the policy is continuing it doesn't end with just the passing of the law there are different influences also uh, in terms of social policy right it has been influenced by a lot of different factors it can be socio-cultural so socio-cultural because you see in the philippines there is a strong emphasis on familism right and this Im- uh, manifest itself in the kind of discussions that we have when it comes to social policy. For example, when the government provides a program for the people, the main concept or the main theme is usually like a father, where the state is the father, providing services for its children. That's why the term, Salamat Tatay Digong, is coming from. Right? So, Salamat Tatay Digong, as if Tatay the president, is giving services to the people. Where You can see there that familism permits into the government, into the policies that we have. It can also be political, right? So when you look at the political situation, the ability of the state to be able to implement a project or a program is also influencing the kind of social policies that we have. If the government does not have the capacity to actually implement effectively, then the kind of programs and the kind of effectiveness of a certain social policy is also being affected. So, for example, in the Philippines, we have big budgets, right? So, big budgets, I'm not saying that it is sufficient, but we have a quite decent budget when it comes to education, to healthcare, but a lot of them you will be surprised, a lot of them are not spent. Why? Because it's very difficult to spend money in government because we have problems with our procurement law, right? So, um, bidding and other processes to the point that when you finish the process of bidding and procuring all and all the documents that comes with it, it's already December. And you have to return the money to the treasury because there is only a window on how much time you can uh, use to spend the money that is being allotted by the government. So when the time has lapsed, you have to return the money to the treasury unless there is a waiver that has been sent out by the Department of Budget and Management and the Congress. It can also be economic. So the social policies are affected also by the economic situation of the country. In the Philippines, poverty is rampant. So a lot of our social policy discussion has to do with the social policy uh, po- policies that are targeted towards the poor, such as the Pantawid Pamilyang Pilipino Program, I think foremost among that. And the discussion that we have in our policy making is usually about how do we address poverty, 
right? It can also be historical. So one thing I think that we have to look into the Philippines, how come our social policies are usually papogi, right? Especially in disaster, in poverty alleviation. Well, we go back to the American period. When democracy was introduced in the Philippines, the method of democracy where you vote for an elected official was actually forced to us before we developed democratic values. Because at the time, in the first place, the, those who can vote were selected, right? So there were certain qualifications. But most importantly, I think, that the thing that came into our mind was that democracy was about being elected rather than being able to develop a government that delivers social services effectively, whereby the performance of that government in delivering services will be the basis of whether we will re-elect them or not. But the thing is, because democracy was introduced to us half-baked, the main orientation of our political system and our political actors is to get re-elected. And with short election cycle of three years, there is no incentive or less incentive to invest in sustainable programs. So what do you do? You create colosseums, you create infrastructure that are beautiful in our eyes, such as the dolomite or the white sand, <laughs> or to create um, relief goods and other things that immediately benefits the people, and not the kind of programs that are long-term, such as building roads that are resilient against earthquakes or classrooms that are, uh, can withstand storms and landslides because those things take time for you to see the benefits, right? So there's less incentive to invest on that because with those factors, right, you need to immediately deliver results so that you can get re-elected. So that's how historical factors come in. There are also environmental factors that are involved. So this is one story. I mean, I do not necessarily agree with it, but I think you may find it quite interesting uh, about the environmental factors that are affecting our policies, right? So how come South Korea is developed and the Philippines is not? So this old Korean professor of mine told us this story because he said that in Korea, they have to be able to develop themselves really fast and create the kind of policies that would enable faster development because if they don't, they will be invaded by North Koreans or if they do not get invaded by North Koreans, they will die of famine. If they don't produce enough food during summer, they cannot eat anything during winter. And they do not have any choice for trade because they were cut off from mainland Asia by North Korea. Because to reach China and to reach other parts of Asia, they have to go to land travel, which necessitates them passing to North Korea. But now that they are cut off, they have to look to the ocean to be able to create growth and opportunity. So they resorted to trade. So in a way, there was a stimuli to actually produce and to be able to improve themselves because they face a lot of obstacles. On the other hand, in the Philippines, he said, even if you throw a seed, any time of the year it will grow and there's no winter in the Philippines. And there's no real threat to our security like they had in North, with North Korea because I mean, we can say China is a threat, but we have no real security threat. Uh, we have no real enemy, no state enemy, that are existential, no? yung threat to our, to our country. 
So there is less incentive to actually develop ourselves. Those theories, I think, I'm not saying that I agree with it, but I think they are very beautiful, no? And they can make us think how environment influences our development or how our geography, our location in Asia is also determining the kind of policies that we have. It can also be religion. What we can see with religion is the fact that our a lot of our decisions, whether it be abortion, whether it be the euthanasia, whether it be reproductive health law, a lot of them are determined by our re- religious uh, conscience and our religious values. So there was a heavy debate on the reproductive health law between the church and the state. We have a lot of um, concerns and uh, point of reflection when it comes to block voting by certain churches, uh, which I don't, don't know if you agree or disagree, but I think those are definitely influencing our political landscape and the like. And now, we will look into the policy-making process. So when we look into the policy-making process, there are at least five steps. The first, steps is, the first step is the agenda setting. It is where you identify and define a problem, crisis, advocacy of action. So, as we said, a policy responds to a particular need. But in agenda setting, that is where you identify the need. That is where you problematize. But let us think quite differently when it comes to that. You do not need to always begin with a problem. Because when you begin with a problem, right, you create a space between the community and the eventual solution, right? Because problem is usually negative as a, as a term, right? I would like to share to you some story that I got from one of my mentors at the Asian Development Bank. Uh, during his time in Vietnam, and I think possibly this is a water project, so they were going into um, Vietnam, and they were uh, going into a village, and over beer, they were trying to discuss how should we approach this issue that the community is facing when it comes to water. Should we problematize or should we frame the question quite differently? And they thought maybe we can ask, instead of what are your problems, maybe we should ask what are your aspirations? What are your dreams for the community? And so they did. During a meeting with the community, they asked the village elders and the village leaders, what are their aspirations for the community? It is the same way of asking question, but rather than looking at the glass half empty, you look at the glass half full, right? And the community leaders at the time were quite surprised because uh, the community leader said, you're the first people who actually ask us what we wanted to do despite a lot of people from other organizations coming over to our village. And that for the, the, that mentor from ADB was quite eye-opening. Because as I said earlier, when you start with a problem, you create a gap between the problem and the, communi- and the solution, right? And the gap, eventually, you will leave and you leave the community with a gap. Right? And there's a whole industry, there's a whole sector dedicated to problematizing. Academics, international NGOs, social enterprises have been thriving and creating an industry out of problematizing. But if you ask it quite differently through appreciative inquiry, 
where you start with what the community aspirations are and what are the existing resources that they have in order for them to achieve their aspirations, you consider the community as having resources within itself to be able to achieve what they wanted to do. So, it, it's the same thing, but you ask it quite differently, and it makes all the difference in the world. Okay? So, as we move to agenda setting, we go to policy formulation. So, once you identify already the need, you try to develop specific proposals or series of alternative proposals to respond to an emerging crisis. Particularly, you try to specify the goals and the choice of means to achieve what you want to achieve. So, this is where you go into the details, you try to debate, you try to filter, and you try to um, specify the details. And then we go to policy legitimation or adoption. That is where you approve the policy. You enact it in a form of legislation, executive orders, administrative regulations, or court decision. This is where you approve already the policy. And after policy legitimation, you go into policy implementation. This is where you try to mobilize resources to adopt the policies that have been approved. So this is where it is vital if agencies that are implementing the program have the independence to be able to implement it without any political bias or any political leaning or any favor, and the capacity of the implementers as well, are they trained enough to be able to implement the program? Do you have enough manpower? Do you have enough budget to execute the policy implementation, uh, the implementation of the policy? <clears throat> Is it conflicting? Conflicting with other policies, etc., etc. And lastly, is policy evaluation. So once you have implemented the project, you try to evaluate it, you try to review it, and you attempt to determine whether the policy has worked or not. So it's very important to monitor and evaluate the project as well. So this is the whole policy cycle that we have right so it is um, these are five steps and uh, I think it helps you in a way to analyze the different parts of policy making so next meeting we will move to um, another topic so if you have any questions or concerns you can definitely email me at rpdangkalan at up.edu.ph I hope some of the lessons that we have today gave you some point for reflection thank you very much